Hey guys, so before I get into this podcast, I just wanted to give you some context around what I was even backtesting. It was a trend continuation strategy, which initially had three different entry types. I was looking at three different stop losses, three different targets, about 15 to 20 different filters, all of which was being tracked in my spreadsheet. And I was backtesting the years 2009 up until present day, so 2019. So this just gives you an idea of what I was actually tracking, so you have some context of what I'm talking about in this episode. Uncovering the reality of the learning to trade journey can be tricky in an industry filled with many myths and misconceptions. The aim of this podcast is to generate clarity over this journey through documenting the challenges and the solutions I personally experience as I move through the process from novice to consistently profitable trader. Everyone's training journey is unique, yet if a shared tip or trick in this podcast can shave even 1% off of your learning curve, then that will be a job well done. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my backtesting journey. The main reason for this is this is one of the questions that I was asked most in my trading journey. Um, like, so have you finished backtesting yet? When are you going to finish backtesting? When are you going to be live trading? Why is it taking you so long to backtest? And at the start of my journey, that kind of bothered me, but I'll explain to you kind of why I just accepted it for what it is and why I'm actually glad that I went about things the way I did and why it took me as long as it did. Um, by the way, when I'm saying it took me as long as it did, like in my opinion, yes, it was a lot longer than what I initially was anticipating. But like really now when I've got a good idea of how things are gonna pan out, I'm kind of like, to be honest, to create a tool that's hopefully gonna create wealth for me in the future, um, I don't think it's a long time to spend on it. So I started wanting to backtest in I feel like it was the start of November or end of October in 2018 I had an accountability session where I was like I finished pro section I want to start backtesting and I was like so ready to start backtesting I was so excited because I'd always see people on the tier one chat being like on a Saturday night (laughs) they'd be like I'm backtesting this pair and I'd be like jealous because I'd still be learning pro section which obviously you know is enjoyable as well but um I had just, I kind of wanted to be on to the next stage because I'd been learning price section for so long and I was like ready for the next stage. So the idea was that what was said in my accountability session was you'll be able to backtest, you know, 10 pairs or something by the end of January. So I was like, cool, like I'm ready for this. And as soon as that accountability session ended, I think I was talking to George and he was basically like, you're not even ready to start backtesting. And I was like, what? Like, feeling like I'm about to cry. And he was like, um, to get... And I mentioned this in a previous episode. To get to the point of actually physically backtesting, several things need to be done in preparation. The first one is, you haven't written your rules out in if-then syntax. And from there, you haven't created your spreadsheets that you're even going to record data in. Um, so there were kind of several steps that needed to be done before this. So, because how my rules were written at that point in time, I literally had like bullet pointed them. I don't even know if I've bullet pointed them actually. Um, but you know, they weren't clear at all. I probably would have a load of junk in my 
data collection right now, which would be like invalid setups or I hadn't defined something the right way. And that's just no good um, solid foundation to go live. So the first thing was to get my rules right. And that took working with George like a month. It took a long time. Actually, wait, that and my spreadsheet, I think, took a month, both of them together. Um, And I found, to me, that was like one of the most difficult parts of my journey, actually. Because number one, like I said, this was a point in my journey, to be honest, where I was a a little bit impatient. (laughs) I feel like Georgian or she would be like a lot impatient. But um, I really, really... I really wanted to just get everything done by the end of January. Like, I was so focused on deadlines. I was like, I would need this done by this time and this done by this time. And they kept saying to me, you know, you kind of need to accept that things are just going to take as long as they take. And I'd be like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, I'd have these little outbursts where I'd just kind of get disheartened and it would just be quite stressful because when you're trying to keep to a deadline and... Like, I'm quite harsh on myself anyway, but to have a deadline which ends up being a bit unrealistic, um, those aren't good combinations, really. And I think it got to... So I think I started backtesting after I'd done all these things. Uh, it was, like, the last week, because I remember it was near Christmas in 2018. And I started maybe a couple of weeks before that. And um, I can't remember what had happened, but... I think I'd basically said, I'm trying to get this pair done in, like, two days. And, like, a couple of days before Christmas, I think it was George, messaged me. And I'm literally, like, so grateful at this point in time. This is why it's so important to be around good people at this point in your journey as well. Because other people are just going to mislead you completely. But he was, like, um, basically concerned. Like, I feel like you're really going about this the wrong way. Like, all you're trying to focus on is to get something done in one to two days. Um like to record data sometimes it takes you longer because you need to do your analysis on the charts or write in your notes um you know maybe if even if you were trying to base it on years like I want to get done three years per day in one like in three of those years you might have a ton of setups because it does happen sometimes then you might hit a big bit of consolidation and you get through a year really quickly um so I do get it like you can't really always estimate how long that's going to take you and I remember at the time I just felt like oh my god like what what are they talking about um, blah, blah, blah. but in the overarching view of my mind I just thought because when you're told something and in one good trade if you've read that you'll know I just always always remember reading this in one good trade it's like the one thing that book that stuck with me is when he was like, the main reason traders fail is because um, they don't listen. And I've, at the start of my journey, I thought I was aware of that and I don't think I was. And that's why it, I ended up having to restart things, like my foundation after three months. And this time round, like I really was trying to listen if someone was telling me something. And even if I wasn't always listening, um, like for me it was like an unconscious thing I kind of wouldn't really realize that someone had told me something and I was doing something opposite it was kind of weird (laughs) but um at this point he was like I I really think it would be good for you to just take you know a week off or a couple of days off over Christmas just kind of reset yourself and then come back to it and I really really (laughs) didn't want to do this as you can imagine but I like now I can see I was so in the wrong mindset 
I was in a mindset of just this has to get done in two days, like regardless of how it gets done. And my mindset eventually shifted to quality, quality over how long it's taken me. Um, because at the end of the day, if you, you know, rush it for a month, get to the end of that month, you've missed setups because you're rushing. You haven't kind of, I don't know, your data's not reliable, basically. Um, you're going to have to start again, and that's not going to be fun. So from January, I started taking my time, and it was flipping long because to do like a pair, to begin with, I was really slow as well in entering data, and none of my spreadsheet was automated to fill out the data for me. So it was literally taking me like two weeks to do a bloody pair. And on top of that, there was only so long per day that I could concentrate before I would need to just stop. Um, But I kind of just went with it, went with it. It was so slow, so slow. And then I think I finished like 10 pairs by the end of March. So really it was about three months. Um, And I came to filtering and I was filtering. And I was using the daily as my higher time frame. So my strategy, it's trend continuation. Originally, the standard rules are you have three time frames: a higher time frame, a trading time frame, and a lower time frame. You have three different entry techniques. So with trend continuation, the general idea, you're taking multiple stabs at hopping on the next extension upwards or downwards, depending on the trend direction. And two of the entries were executed at this point in time on the 60 minute, so my lower time frame. Um, and as I said, the higher time frame was my daily, the 240 was my training time frame. I had between 17 to 40 slash 50 setups um, per pair. And for me personally, I learnt that I don't feel psychologically comfortable with basing a decision off of a sample size of 17 trades even if this is over 10 to 15 years. Now, some people are. Jess, for example, who was on the podcast, she is comfortable with doing that, and that is what she's doing, um, because she thinks, you know, people feel comfortable with, at the end of the day, this is 15 to 20 years worth of data, so they feel comfortable with it. You kind of need to decide whether or not you do feel comfortable with that. Um, So for me, I didn't. And I basically, for... Yeah, I wanted to do the 240 as my higher time frame. After three months, I just thought, you know what, I kind of want to start again. Um, I think I was a bit unsure at that point in time in that I hadn't been consistent with drawing my ebbs and flows. Not based on the I had been applying the rules incorrectly, but based on the fact that sometimes I was including the small ones, sometimes the bigger ones. And that does affect like um, how your future lines are drawn, so it will affect your results. So I wanted to kind of redo that anyway. So it was kind of a good time to just restart everything. So in April, I restarted using the 240 as my high time frame. And then I was like, right, it's fine. I'm going to finish by... One second, I need to sneeze. (laughs) Bless me. So I needed to... um, I thought I'm going to finish by the summer. So like, and then I'm going to go live in the summer of this year. And to be honest, by this point in time, I should just know not to kind of set deadlines. And when I'm saying um, not setting deadlines, don't get me wrong, deadlines can be incredibly, incredibly important and useful, um, particularly if you're someone who procrastinates a lot and 
I don't know, is a bit lazy basically with getting stuff done. Um, of course, you know, deadlines can be incredibly helpful. And I do think it's good to have a broad idea of I'm aiming to finish, for example, one pair per week. Um, having said that, I've found it, I don't know if it's just me, but I don't know if the deadlines I was setting were unrealistic, but I very rarely would finish by my deadline. Sometimes maybe I'd finish a lot before, but um, I just didn't find them useful. I just thought I'm trying to do what I can every single day. For me, I just kind of had to accept at some point that that's kind of good enough. And that's why I think this backtesting journey, you're so growing as a person as well. Because for me, obviously, to begin with, it was like a battle of my personality of, you know, learning to be more patient with the process and, you know, which can be very, very difficult. So anyway, so in like summer, um, so I'd started retesting the 240, right? It got to the point, I don't know, let's just say May. I think it was May. Um... It was like early summer, bloody hell. I was like, I do not like first and third chance entry. And I had kind of felt like this from the start, but the advice had been, um, it's a good idea to stick with them for now because basically you kind of don't really know what you don't like until you kind of go with it for a bit. You actually are applying it and then you're like, okay, maybe I don't like this. And I basically said to George, who I obviously run everything by, I was just like, I really want to drop the first and the third chance entry. I feel like I've given it long enough and I still just don't really like it. And he was kind of like, by this point in time, at the end of the day, you have given it enough time, so that's entirely your decision. So I just thought, right, so I'm scrapping first and third chance. And to this day, I'm so happy I did because I just didn't like them. Um, But I'm still happy that I gave them time because I'm not thinking oh no, should I have kept them? Shouldn't I have kept them? I feel like I gave it a good period of time. I didn't like it, so I dropped it. But I wasn't making quick, shiny object decisions to just drop things. Um, You know, it was done over time where I'd actually given it time and kind of been patient about it. So I started, and then from there, I had to start (laughs) again because um, I was obviously only doing second chance entry at this point. And there would have been trades that I had that I had missed um, just based on how the entry is anyway. So basically I had to start it again, so I started again. But by this point, because I'd kind of seen which pairs Second Chance had done well on and some it had done terribly on, I didn't see the point of looking at something where like, I don't know, 80 to 90% out of Second Chance entry trades lost. I would rather focus on, there were a couple of players where it had done really well, so I thought I'm gonna retest those rather than just retesting stuff where I don't think it's gonna work. Um, Because I don't think, you know, even when I started retesting, I thought there's not gonna be big differences, but it's still important if I'm actually gonna trade this that I capture those small differences. So I did. So I started testing again. And then I, by like, I think it was like August, Um, I had wanted to look at stocks as well, but, um, because of the fact that you need quite a bit of money to trade stocks, I obviously couldn't do that, so I thought the next best thing is to look at some indices, um, and FXCM offer that you can trade a few of them as mini futures, e-mini futures, so I basically went onto the FXCM website, the main ones I wanted to look at, I wanted to look at the S&P, um, and I think I wanted to look at NAS 100, I wanted to look at 
the FTSE 100, um, what else? Like all of the big obvious ones, which I thought were probably going to be trending a lot. So I basically went onto FXCM, their product guides, um, E-mini, yeah, their E-mini futures, and basically I decided I wanted to also test, yeah, so you go onto them, you can see all the indices, I decided I wanted to test all of the ones that didn't have like a crazy spread, because some of them had a spread that was so huge that I just thought this would like affect the profitability of a trade. So I went, I tested JER30, um, SPX500, NAS100, UK100, um, France40, FRAR40, and that was it. So I tested those. Um, all of them are in my portfolio, apart from UK100, which didn't do well. But the others flip me. I was so glad that I had gone off of my hunch that I really wanted to do these and I'd just done them. Because I was just thinking, these markets trend like 80% of the time probably. They trend a lot of the time compared to the Forex market. Why does no one who's doing trend continuation do these? And I get it because people just want to stick to Forex. They'd rather trade multiple strategies on Forex rather than being between like two different types of market. Um like mainly focusing on a trend strategy, for example. But yeah, for me, it just seems to make sense. If you have a trend strategy, then I want to be testing this on a market that trends frequently. And it was a very interesting comparison, comparing that to my Forex pairs. Two of the Forex pairs did very well, which are also in my portfolio. The other four in my portfolio are indices. Um, and I'm very happy I did that. Then this was like, end of, I don't know, like September by this point. No, it was like end of September. End of September. So I was like, right, I've tested everything. So by this point, it's like nine months. I was like, okay, I've tested everything. Now it's time to filter. So we started the filtering process. To begin with, I actually felt very overwhelmed because I was tracking a lot of data. Um, and to be honest, like the majority of filters I tracked have, they're not in my rules. But I'm still glad I tracked those because otherwise I'd be thinking that that could have made my strategy more profitable if I tracked it. Whereas I know from my data that like if someone said to me, why didn't you look at RSI or like, I'm not going to be questioning myself because I know I tracked three things to do with the RSI. None of them improved the profitability of my strategy on any pair. So I then started filtering. Like I said, it was quite overwhelming. That took me like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Um, and then I had to retest. The main reason for this is, again, it's good to see that your final rules actually work. Um, some of the trades that I was in initially, I wouldn't be in a second time round. Like the dates overlap, because if you're looking for an extension as well, um, basically there would have been some trades I would have recorded that I shouldn't technically be in, et cetera, et cetera. So I basically wanted to retest stuff and I'm so glad I did because to begin with I thought is this a waste of time. I'd felt like my eyes had changed significantly anyway so I kind of wanted to retest, that was another reason. But I also thought is this a bit unnecessary. It was not unnecessary as and it actually made me realise some mistakes I'd made. So I started retesting, it was New Zealand dollar originally and um, like the average at this point in time, I think it was okay, whatever, it was X percent per year, and I was like, I was going through with charts, and the first year I tested was negative, and I'm like, hang on, <laughs> it's telling me that I should be getting X percent per year, and my first year is negative, what's going on, 
And then, I mean, this might seem like a bit obvious to a lot of people, but it's like, obviously your average isn't gonna be what you actually get each year. But I just assumed, because my average was positive, that I would be positive every single year. So when I actually, then I was like, shit, I need to actually look into how 2009 performed, how 2010 performed, 2011, 2012, so on, so on. And then I saw that there were like five negative years, but the other five years that were positive, they're just done like incredibly well. So it had brought the average up to doing really well. Um, so that I had to refilter again because I didn't really realize I had to look into that. And then I was like, my main focus, even if I had to reduce the ROI, my focus was to have as consistent um, return through the years as I could, even if that meant sacrifice and profitability. Like in an ideal world, I would rather have a lower ROI, but it's actually consistent. It's a bit more consistent each year. Obviously it's not gonna be the same every year, but I would rather it be like that compared to having crazy percent one year and then negative the next and then crazy one year. Um, so yeah, that was then my focus. Then after I'd retested everything, oh my God, I was like done by the time I'd retested everything. Yeah, so that's kind of the point I'm at now. And now I just feel like it's a bit of an anti-climax. Um, I'm basically just waiting for George to look at my trade plan. I'm basically on demo right now, but I'm executing it like I would be doing my live trading, which is good to have a bit of practice, to be honest, because um, I haven't had much practice in demo, but I've had a couple of setups and it seems to have gone fine so far. So that's basically where I'm at in the next couple of weeks. I think if there's any change that needs to be made to my trade plan, then that's what I'll be doing. But then I think I'm just gonna go back into education for a bit. Um, there's a couple of, like, Akil's just done a series, I want to watch that. I've watched half of it, I want to watch the other half. Um, I wouldn't mind going through price action again, to be honest. It'd be interesting to go through that again, see if it would be a complete different perspective after I've back-tested for a year to actually see the price action course again. Um, and then I guess select the next strategy and start with that, which I think is going to be a strategy for consolidating markets so that I'm a bit more diversified. And I think I'll just focus that on forex pairs but we'll see but anyway i hope you've enjoyed this um i know there's several other people who have also taken the time of their back testing and i know it can get frustrating at times and you know who you are because i've spoken to you but <laughs> just remember like the light is at the end of the tunnel and all this work when you're actually i feel like when we actually go live trading like even now when i'm placing demo trades to just know clearly my reason for entry where my stops my targets and where my entry zone is um it's just like the best feeling ever seriously so if that's you just hang on in there it's worth it you're going about it the right way you're actually saving yourself a lot of time with not having to go back and redo stuff and go back and redo stuff in like two years um so i think you're putting yourself in good stead if you have spent time on things and i can't remember if i mentioned this at the start, the start of the episode but there was this guy on Twitter, his handle is at trader underscore levels, levels is spelled L-E-E-V-E-L-S, um, and, because I'm not really on Twitter, but, like, I opened an account, Akil was like, you need to get on Twitter, <laughs> so I opened an account, and I'm basically just posting what I post on Instagram on there, but I was, and it's interesting, because it is a different type of person on Twitter, I've noticed, but this guy, um, I think someone must have liked, I think Akil maybe liked his tweet and it came up in my feed. And 
oh my god it was refreshing like I've literally not seen something like this you rarely see stuff like this on social media um, and it's so refreshing when you do and that's why I, I just love it when someone who's like going about their journey in such a good way they share it because it's just it oh, it's just so good to see it just counters all the bullshit that's out there anyway so he wrote about me I've been studying trading for almost four years now throughout that time I haven't traded a live account I've been extremely patient in doing so until now Monday is the first time I trade live with real money after having success with a demo account it's finally time and in my opinion when I see something like that I'm just like you can just tell that someone's just going to do really well um you know whether they have ups and downs live perhaps do you know what I mean also nothing's ever guaranteed but I just think someone like that is in a very very good position um to go forward and I just think it's amazing I really do um but yeah <laughs> anyway guys I hope you've enjoyed this podcast I'm sorry it's out a bit late I literally had the maddest day yesterday it was a madness um, but that's an excuse and I'm not making excuses, but I'm just explaining the reason for doing so. But anyway, see you in Sunday's episode. Have a good rest of week. <laughs>